fact that you've chosen to be with us. If you're a guest today, we want you to know that you're welcome. And we invite you to be back with us at every opportunity that you might have. If you were here yesterday, one of the ladies who was here yesterday, I understand you had a great uh, uh, ladies' day. Appreciate everyone who participated in that. All those who worked behind the scenes in order to make it work. And uh, Ryan will mention it again at the end, but there are some uh, packets that are still left outside for ladies. If you want to pick one of those up when you leave, uh, we had some leftovers. If you weren't here yesterday and would like one of those, be sure to pick those up. They're out in a box in the foyer. As we begin our lesson this morning, there are times when people get confused about creation. You know, even Christians sometimes get confused about creation. They hear at church and read in their own Bibles about how God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And yet they hear at school or on television or some other place that there was an evolutionary process that took place in order for the world to be like it is today. And so in order to try to harmonize the two, the, the six days on one hand and the many, many years on the other, some have decided that, well, those days of creation must be eons of time. They must be uh, millions or billions of years. And so they look at that and they say, that's the only way we can harmonize the two. Well, it's not our purpose this morning to deal with that in great detail, but we want to briefly address it. We understand that uh, plants came into existence on the third day. And you say, why are you starting with plants? Because it's interesting. They came into existence on the third day according to the book of Genesis chapter 1 verses 11 through 13. But we also understand that each creation day had a period of light and of dark. Now, if those days were eons, millions or billions of years, how did those plants survive during millions of years when there was darkness. You know, if you simply read the Word of God and think about some things in regard to, to logic and, and the Word of God, we understand that, that to try to harmonize two things together may not make sense. But, you know, we could carry on. We could talk about it. Uh, we all here in the South understand that sometimes it takes bees and insects and things in order to pollinate the very different plants. Some plants, it takes a very specific insect for them to be pollinated. And if it wasn't until day four or day five, whenever these were created, one of those uh, two days, then um, uh, how did the plants survive until that particular time? But even more than that, very quickly this morning, Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 11, Jesus, or God rather, gives some very specific instructions through Moses. He says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, should, you or your son or your daughter, your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Just how long? Just how long were the Hebrews to work, and how long were they to rest? You see, what happens here in the book of Exodus is that Moses writes about how the Sabbath day law was designed to commemorate the seventh day, and it's based on that creation week. And so as we look at it and we think about it, 
You know, there are things that are logical for us and to us that we can come to understand that when we look at it in Scripture, we can refute some of the errors that are stated throughout our world and even within the church and even within Christianity itself. And so there are other things that we could deal with in regard to that, but I simply brought that up to say, you know, sometimes even in the idea, the realm of the physical creation that God did, There's confusion about some things. But equally so, there's confusion in regard to the second creation. As we think about that, and that's our topic of study today, people sometimes get confused about that. They don't understand in regard to the the concept of the new creation and how one becomes a part of it. Most everyone would agree that you have to hear about God in order to know Him and have to hear about His Son in order to come to believe in Him. And so no wonder then the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 17 without uh, uh, that, that, uh, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We know that we have to believe in God, believe in His Son, for without faith it's impossible to please Him. Hebrews chapter 11 at verse number 6. We know that repentance is necessary. Luke chapter 13 verse 3 and verse number 5. Jesus says that unless we repent we'll perish. We know Paul writes about confession and that confession of the Son of God. And, and we know that he says with the mouth confession is made into salvation, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And somebody will say, well, you know, I believe all of those things. And, and I believe if I've done those things, then I am in God's creation. I am a new creation. Let me just simply point out this morning that maybe that we're still confused in regard to that. We, we need to understand some things. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 17. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17, Paul writes and says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What? Where, where are we? Where do we become the new creation? Well, Paul says that if we're in Christ, then we're the new creation. But some having heard and believed and repented and confessed said that's all I need, but, but they fail to realize that in passages such as the book of Galatians chapter 3 at verse number 27, that Paul would also write, for as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Larry, we, we jumped back there for some reason. Put us back on that next frame. The next blank that you have, we're made a new creation when we are baptized into Christ. Did you notice there in Galatians 3.26, or 3.27 rather, that we are baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ. That's where we become the new creation. Paul would write about that in the book of Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6 at verse number 4, we are buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We're buried with Him. We're baptized, meeting the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away our sins. And that's when we become that new creation in Jesus Christ. And so today, people are confused about 
uh, how to get into Christ or how to become that new creation, but I, again, don't want to spend all of our time talking about that. You see, I want to talk about some things that people are still confused about, what it means to live as the new creation of God. We're talking uh, this month about uh, Jesus and creation. We talked about the creation, the physical creation, the first couple of Sundays. We've been talking about the new creation, the past couple of today and last week. And, and I want to think about this morning for the time that we have left, uh, what it means for us to live as that new creation. Let me suggest to you this morning that to live as the new creation, to become the new creation, is to be restored to a pristine state. A pristine state. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you have to look up words, and I decided I'd look this one up just to be sure that I was right in using this word. But what does the word pristine mean? Well, the dictionary definition is this. In its original condition, unspoiled, clean and fresh, as if new, spotless. You think about that for just a moment. When we become a new creation in Christ, we are pristine again. I want you to think back to the Garden of Eden with me. Back to the creation of everything this morning. Imagine that creation week following day one when the dry land appeared from the water and the trees and the flowers and the plants, they all sprouted forth. And, and the sun and the moon and the stars were set in their place and, and the living creatures were brought forth to inhabit the land and the seas. Animals and livestock were created to roam the fields and finally man was formed in the image of God. Can you imagine what it must have looked like at that time. You know, some of us are inspired. We're, we're all inspired by the, by the uh, creation of God. We look and we see the beauty. Think about it. Spring's coming up before too long. The trees will bud and everything will turn green. The grass will become green. And, and I'm not talking about worrying about having to mow it or anything like that. I'm talking about the beauty. The flowers, they begin to bloom. The azaleas, they'll, they'll you know, all come out. and Everything will look very, very beautiful. But I'm not sure it even compares with what it must have looked like at the very beginning. You know, sometimes when you look at the beautiful trees, you may even look. I know hanging in one of my trees in my yard, there's a limb that is really high, and it's hanging down, it's broken off. And... I'm not even sure there were broken limbs on trees back then or bare spots in the grass when God created everything. Imagine what it must have looked like when God created the world and placed Adam and Eve in that beautiful garden. The Bible says that everything God made was very good. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 31. And so we think about that, that brand newness of the creation. It's still beautiful today, but what must it have been then? But what about man? What about man? You know, the earth has become somewhat contaminated. The bad things have happened. You know, the landscape has changed. We studied a little bit about that in our third Thursday class this past Thursday. But, but as we look at it, as we think about it, mankind has also changed. You say, sin contaminates man. It's what the Bible teaches us, doesn't it? Sin itself contaminates man. Look at, 
In the Old Testament book of Lamentations chapter 1 at verse number 8. Lamentations chapter 1 verse number 8. There Jeremiah writes and says, Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she has become filthy. The sin is equated with filthiness in Jerusalem. And remember, Lamentations is written by the weeping prophet as he watches his people go into Babylonian captivity. And the reason they did that was because of their sin. And the Bible says, Jerusalem sinned, therefore she has become filthy. In the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 3. Let's look together at verses 1 through 4 this morning. Zechariah chapter 3, we read about a, a, a priest of God by the name of Joshua. Now this is not the Joshua of the book of Joshua, the Joshua who took Moses' place, but this is a priest by the name of Joshua that would come later in the history of the Hebrew people. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. You see, that's what Satan's job is, isn't it? And he is to accuse the brethren. And verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now watch verse 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. Now, did Joshua just not take time to wash his clothes before he's standing before God, being accused by Satan? Well, that's not, that's not what we're reading here. That's not the symbols you'll see in just a moment. He, he's standing before the angel. He's standing before God, clothed with, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. Now, he's not standing there naked because we read, And he said to him, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. You see, when we sin, it's as though we stand out as, as someone who's wearing filthy clothes. Never been to a store or been out in public somewhere and you've seen a person who looks as though they haven't washed their clothes in the last 40 years? They may not be but 25, but, you know, it, it looks and sometimes it even smells awful, doesn't it? Sometimes all it would take is a little detergent and things would look a whole lot better. But we can't, we, we don't have any detergent down here that'll make us clean except for the blood of Christ. I want us to understand, we're contaminated. It's like wearing dirty clothes. But, but now wait a minute. When we, when we have that sin in our life, let's jump into the New Testament, the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And let's look together at verses 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and, and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. There's our new creation that we're talking about. To put on the new self created after the likeness 
of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, we've got to get rid of the sins out of our life. We've got to take off those old clothes, if you will, those dirty, contaminated, stinking clothes and put on the true righteousness of God. Why? Number one, he says we're created after the image of our God. We become again, when we're baptized into Christ, when we take off those old things and put on those new things, we become pristine. We become again like our our Maker. We stand before Him without any blame. We stand before Him without any filthiness or dirtiness on our clothing. Not our physical clothing, but our spiritual clothing. And we stand before Him in that way. But you know what? To live in that pristine state means that we need, to, we need to move forward, doesn't it? In the book of Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality and impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you, have, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There's our new creation again. I want you to ask yourself the question this morning as we look at that. Don't just sort of glaze over as we read all of those things that are mentioned here that we are to take off when before we put on the new self. Our world today, our society, especially in the United States of America today, is saturated with filthiness of sexual impurity. You notice that's one of the first things that he mentions. You can't watch TV or walk down the street hardly without being saturated with it, seeing it all over. Young folks, high school and college age folks, they have no qualms whatsoever about committing fornication. It seems as though it is rampant in our world, probably not like it's been since the Roman Empire. There's nothing wrong with it, they see. God says, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a part of the new creation, you've got to get rid of that kind of junk out of your life. Not only that, but if you look at Colossians chapter 3, not only does he say sexual immorality, the very act, but he says impurity. You see, that's what grows out of the sexual immorality. The passion, that's the mindset of thinking that, hey, you know, I can't live without this, and nobody else is de- denying themselves, and so I might as well not deny myself. You see, we could go down the line this morning and talk about each one of these individually and describe it. And yet somebody says, you know what, preacher said, I'm not guilty of any of those things. Well, then drop down to the second part of the list that Paul writes. What about wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk? He says, you've got to get rid of those things out of your mouth too. Anger. Notice that. You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody been angry lately? Now, the Bible says be angry and sin not, but there are some folks who carry anger with them every day, right? And there are some people who become so angry that I will not speak to anybody or that person who's hurt me. And I'll remain angry at them for the rest of my life. Folks, that's wrong. If you're a Christian, if you're part of the new creation, you've got to get that out of your heart. You see, these last things are heart matters. 
that malice and all of those kinds of things. We've got to get rid of them if we want to live as a part of God's creation. You see, we're in, the, we're, we're in this like God. We're, we're fashioned in the form of our Creator. We had a second chance to go back and be new again. We're to live, to do our best to live in that pristine state one more time. But, but let's go back to a passage we've read a number of times over the past couple of weeks. Look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are become new. How many of your current struggles, the things that you deal with on a daily basis are built on a foundation of past issues that still haunt you to this day. Maybe something that you did in the past. It may be something that was done to you in the past. But how many of us are haunted by something from the past? in our life that almost immobilizes us to the point that we can't move forward. I can't forgive myself. I can't move forward in life because I've been wronged. As Christians, we need to stop living in the past. Why? Behold, all things are become New. Right? The story is told of a beggar who lived near the palace of a king. The king advertised a, uh, a, a royal feast that he was giving, and he, he, he said that anyone who was attired in royal apparel, they could attend that, that particular celebration, that feast. Oh, that beggar, he wanted to go so badly, and he thought about it and thought about it, and finally he came up with an idea he went to the gate of the palace and he begged the guard. He said, I need to see the king. And finally, after the guard had gone to talk to the king, the king invited the beggar in. And he heard the plea of the beggar. The beggar fell on his knees and said, I would love so much to come to your feast, but I don't have anything to wear. The king, looking down into the sincerity of the heart of that man, said, Son, you take him to your room and you give him some of your clothes and that way he can, he can come to the feast. Well, the son does and he gives him some of his best clothes and, and as the beggar begins to leave, he is so thankful, but he happens to look back and see the pile of old clothing that he had been wearing lying on the floor. Uh, the king's son said, you look so good, and said, that clothing that you're wearing now, said, it'll never wear out, you'll never have to have any more. But that beggar, he still looked over there at his old pile of clothes left on the floor. And so, before he leaves, he goes and he gets that pile of clothing, and he wraps it up into a bundle. Oh, a day or two later, that feast goes on, and he's able to go, and, and yet he can't enjoy himself because he still has his bundle of old clothes. The food comes around, he misses part of it because his, his bundle falls off of his lap and he has to pick it up. And, and man, he's just cumbered about with that old bundle of clothing. 
Days and weeks and months and years go by. And the beggar, he finally says, man, says, says that, that, that king's son, that prince, he was right. These clothes, they just don't wear out. But still he carried his old bundle of clothing. And he would become known as the old man with the bundle of old clothes. Finally, he became sick. The king came to see him. The king looked and saw not the man, but saw the bundle of old clothes that the man still clutched near him. And a tear began to run down the king's eye. It wasn't until then that the beggar thought. It came to him, oh, I have wasted so much in this life trying to hold on to my old bundle of clothes. Are you still holding on to your old bundle? The past in your life that's causing you to not enjoy being a new creation of God? Behold, all things are become new. But secondly, this morning, to become a new creation is to be restored to a relationship with God. I don't know. I sometimes wonder. Did Adam and Eve really appreciate what they had in the Garden of Eden? Think about that for a minute. They had a unique relationship with God. No other humans competed with them for their closeness to God. They, they had the opportunity to be with God and to speak with God. Uh, they had God all to themselves. And yet, as we look at them, they had a, a relationship that, with God that was not separated by transgressions or rebellions or lies or sickness or disease or pain or tears. Nothing to hurt, no sorrow for them to have, nothing corrupt, nothing to distract, nothing to inject separation into this divine companionship. Indeed, the Garden of Eden was a paradise on earth. But I wonder, did Adam and Eve truly appreciate what they had at that time. For you see, Adam and Eve lived in complete harmony with God. But sin changed all of that, didn't it? Sin changed it. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Your sins have separated you from God, from the Father. Notice Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. And when that unrighteousness was found in us, in other words, when we sinned, we became just like the, the, the Gentiles that, that uh, Jairus read to us from the book of Ephesians this morning. He said, you were separated from Christ. You were without God. But now in Christ, you have those who you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You remember the way we started our lesson today how we became that new creation and, and, and he goes on he says for he himself is our peace who has made it made us both that's Jew and Gentile made us both one and has broken down his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both 
to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Let me let you focus on one word. Reconcile. Reconcile. The word translated reconcile means to re-establish proper, friendly, interpersonal relationships after these have been disrupted or broken. That's what Jesus came to do. To make it possible for our relationship with God to be restored so that I can be holy and blameless before Him. You see, as a new creation, I get a second chance to walk in harmony with God. Isn't that wonderful? I have a second chance to have that relationship with God. Like Adam and Eve had in many ways. And if we remain faithful, that we'll have with God in eternity in His house. Like Adam and Eve, though, we may not be able to perfectly keep that relationship. We may sin. And I would call you to a passage found in the book of 1 John, chapter 1. Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was asked a question this week. If a person is baptized and maybe goes astray and, and, and doesn't live right for a number of years, does he have to be rebaptized? The answer to that is no. We've already contacted the blood, and John makes it clear here that his blood will continue to cleanse us. But he makes that contingent upon, in verse number 9, our willingness to confess our sins that we have in our life. When we do that, we are reassured that God will cleanse us, that blood will cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we have. To become a new creation is the most important thing that we can ever do. The most important thing. Let me close this morning by simply saying this. Let me tell you about a, a little boy and his dad were, who were out one day. They happened to see three frogs sitting on a limb that was hanging over a pool of water. And, and the little boy, he said, Dad... If those three frogs that are sitting on that limb, if, if, if one of them decided that he was going to jump into the pool, how many would be left on the limb? Well, his daddy's pretty smart. He said, well, there'll be two. And the little boy said, no. He said, there's three frogs and one decides to jump in. How many are left? Well, the dad thought about it for a minute and said, well, he said, I guess if one decides to jump in, then the other two will follow him into the water. The little boy said, no. He said, Daddy, there'll still be three frogs there because all he did was decide 
to jump in. Just deciding that we want to be a new creation doesn't make it happen. You see, to become a new creation requires more than just thinking about it. It requires action on your part. It requires action on our part to live as the new creation of God. Let me ask you this morning, have you become a new creation in Christ? How do you do that? By believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting, confessing, being immersed, baptized for the remission of your sins. And then living in such a way as having put off all of that old junk, all that old sin in your life, and put on that which is new. Have you become a new creation? But even more, are you living as a new creation of God in your life? And if not, and we can assist you in any way, whether it be to put your Lord on in baptism or whether it be some other assistance that we might give you, why don't you come right now as we stand and sing?